The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out I'm Andrea Ross and you're listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast. As always, it's so nice to see the messages and thoughts you had after the last episode, but it's really important to us if you're able to rate it, review it and share it with as many people as you like. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn and our website, The Career Establishment. Don't forget to check out our weekly Talent Tips Tuesday on YouTube where I tackle recruiter challenges. So if you're struggling right now, whether it be a leadership challenge or a technical recruiter topic, drop me a line. Right, let's get back to business. Today, I'm joined by Gillian Yeo, Associate Director for Shared Services and Ambition based in Malaysia. Gillian graduated from the University of South Australia in 2009 and embarked on her recruitment career with the recruitment giant Michael Page. Having spent three years and seven months reaching to manager of Shared Services, she joined Ambition, where she has recently been promoted to Associate Director of Shared Services. Gillian will be sharing her expertise on the shared services space in Malaysia and why it continues to be an area of interest to her. Hi Gillian, how are you today? Good, how about you? Yeah, I'm really well. I'm really excited to talk about shared services in Malaysia for ambition. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! So am I. I've been doing this for over six years and I'm still excited today. I know, how cool is this? So for, for the listeners out there, um, Jillian and I go back quite a few years. I've been doing some training and coaching for Ambition across the region for ages. So it's really nice to actually do something a little bit more kind of creative together, Gillian, than, uh, than our usual sort of leadership trainers. This is kind of fun. Um, so you started your career in recruitment with the global giant, giant Michael Page in Malaysia, 2014. Mm-hmm. And you went as an associate consultant on finance, shared services. So, you know, what, what appealed to you at that point in terms of the role? What was it that kind of grabbed your attention to go and work for them? Well, what I was told um, is that it would be a very challenging position. Um, I oh, was really? in sales for about four years before uh, Michael Page. Right. Uh, and my products didn't know how to talk back. Um, so, so <laughs> what I, were you I selling knew... then? What were you selling before then? Drugs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, nicely put, drugs, nicely put. Nicely put. But legal drugs. Back. Yeah. Yeah, what kind of drugs? Just for those. Um, for my first two years, I sold psychiatric drugs. Right. Okay. And um, for my second two years, I was uh, looking into fertility drugs, gastroenterology drugs, 
all the technical stuff that I forgotten by now. And then you went into recruitment. I'm trying to sort of see how that relates. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So when Michael Page said it was challenging then, what what did they mean by challenging? Oh, well, the first thing they said is, you know, your, your products will be talking back. Right. They, they have feelings. You know, I don't talk to my drugs saying that, you know, how do you feel about being sold to this uh, to this doctor? Um, so, so that was, I guess, the biggest um, the change um, because I've worked with sales targets before. So mm. I, I understood that uh, I've done business development in my previous uh, role. Right. So I understood that as well. Um, but really, it's being able to balance between speaking to job seekers as well as companies out there uh, that yeah. really appealed to me. Um, and I was interviewing with uh, several recruitment companies at the time. And oh, were you? So you didn't. Yeah. So you didn't interview with Ambition at that point. Were they? Or were they? Were they in Malaysia at that point? Or uh, I think they were, but still pretty new. Right. Um, so it's it's. I interviewed with Robert Walters as well. Did you? you didn't interview with me, did you? I don't think you did. No. I, don't, I don't remember meeting. Don't no, remember no. meeting you. But you would have worked for me if you'd interviewed with me. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. I might have, and things will look very very different uh, so if, so if when you first went in when you first went in with Michael Page then had they already got us established shared services no I went in as a pioneer um, oh. headcount along yeah. with my manager at the time so so what really made the difference was the people that I've met um, they're pretty impressive as well as a very sleek um, interview process wow. and it's very interesting as well because I've never gone through any interview process like that um, Why? before. What, what did they do? So they did um, something, uh, they, they asked me to prepare a presentation on the company's values which was nerve-wracking. Wow. Um, I had to present to the senior leadership team um, of Michael Page uh, and there was a session that was, you know, really something I couldn't prepare for. It's about general knowledge, about connecting the dots. So they used to call that the commercial session, right. just to be able to see how I can connect the dots because with no knowledge on recruitment, they'll just throw me some hints and then I just have to go along and try to connect everything together. That's interesting. That's a good one. Yeah. That's actually quite an interesting way of doing it, isn't it? Then just sort of yeah. your typical questions because then yeah. I can, I suppose, see how you would be as a recruiter and how you're thinking on your feet and yep. that kind of agility. It's mostly like that. about that, yeah. Did you have any role plays? No. No role no, plays? You got out God of that for one. that. I don't like role plays. <laughs> See? It's good. It's a good job then because you might not have got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I might not be a recruiter today. Yeah. So you spent, you spent about three years, seven months working up the career ladder with them and you were mm. promoted to manager of technology shared services. So for those that aren't so familiar with shared services, can you just sort of share with us what, you know, what does it encompass? Compass, what, does it, what does it mean? Okay. Um, I've explained this in several ways, um, but I'll try my best uh, this time. <laughs> um, shared services is internal or what we call captive shared services, not, not inclusive of your outsourced providers. So a captive shared services is an entity or a couple of or three entities, if let's say you have three hubs in the world mm -hmm. that are set up internally within the organization to provide services, um, traditionally transactional services. Uh, we've seen in finance and accounting, it could be accounts payable, accounts receivable, your um, 
general ledger transactions. In procurement, it could be procurement admin, uh, HR admin, um, even for technology, it could be something like a help desk, level one, level two. So um, traditionally, these were the transactional services provided. And these entities get paid by the business units that they are supporting. Got it. That was, be- that was that beautifully described. I, I understood perfectly what it meant. So when you said you're, you were doing technology, so was it all just the call centre part and someone else was looking after the, the accounts or HR side then? Uh, yes. So I started off in page doing finance and accounting shared services only. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, and we, before I left, um, the business wanted to launch a different function under the umbrella because there's so many types of services that shared services mm. are able to provide. Mm. So technology was the next um, subunit that we, we wanted to focus on. So level one, level two stuff, um, even your SAP or any system related things. Um, so so that was what I focused on for about six months. So really I don't know a lot in this area. Yeah. My my, my bread and butter was always in finance and accounting. So at, at that stage in your career, what type of companies were shifting functions into Malaysia then for, for share service and, and how successful was it at the time in regard to trying to find talent if it was quite a new thing? Um, in my earlier days, I recall working with companies like Schlumberger, mm. uh, Kimberly Clark, GSK, mm. um, and some of these big names are still here today, still large centers. Well, so they still have shared. They still have shared services. They still in, have right. shared services, right. and some of them have remained fairly similar, but some of them have also quickly evolved into into a different type of shared services model. Was it quite? Was it a challenge to find candidates that would look at shared services? I mean, were they doing shift work? I mean, I'm sort of quite keen to sort of know the challenges behind sort of a talent attraction perspective. Yeah, um, I guess it depends on um, the countries or the regions that they serve. Not all hubs are global hubs, so right. um, bulk of the shared services in Malaysia still remain as serving just APAC or a combination of APAC and EMEA. Right. Right. Okay. So they're not necessarily um, but, able to do but shit. But there were there were work. some centers that served U.S. countries, and that was always a challenge um, in sustaining the talent in those positions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how do you try and entice a candidate to want to do that? Then is there sort of a, you know a more of an accelerated career growth or more money or more money? More that's, money. That's really the the only additional. Um, benefit to to taking a shift role but oftentimes I don't see you know on CVs that you've seen the when they say they support US and Canada uh, that tends to does it doesn't last very long and they don't last very long in those roles they don't especially for Malaysians um, I don't think it's we are that receptive of shift work god I don't think anyone would be it's a tough it's a tough gig isn't it are you are you seeing more younger people going to do those types of roles then or or is it people that, I mean, I, I always found when Barclays or Stan Chart moved it to Malaysia, they, they would find mm. people that were married to people in the service, in, in sort of the health service, so that they were already on shift work anyway. So it kind of worked for, for certain couples, for instance, but it was always yeah. a real big challenge. Is that something that you sort of see in, see in Malaysia? Um, we see more singles, um, young okay. single people uh, in shift work. Right. Um, but it's it's not very prevalent nowadays, um, night shifts, because a lot of centres have managed to um, reduce 
uh, shift support. And they've set up maybe some satellite hubs in those regions to be able to cover the round the clock um, work. Yeah, yeah, understand, understand. And yeah, what what specifically had the most impact on you at Michael Page that helped succeed as a recruiter in those early days? Mm. Definitely my manager. Okay, and um, I was with her for the entire time. Uh, She's still there Page. now. Is she still there now? She's still there. Is she? Shout Go on, you've got to call her out now. you got to say, what's her name? Crystal. Crystal. Call her Crystal. Crystal. Um, you should have Crystal. a conversation oh. with her. <laughs> so, Crystal, so what was it, what was it that made that, um, why does she have an impact on you? I guess it's really because of the fit um, of how we work. She's a very nurturing manager. Um, but she never coddled me or was overprotective or think that, you know, I can't do certain things. She's mm-hmm. at the same time, she was constantly pushing me to come out of my comfort zone. Right. But at the same time, whenever I fail or when I fall, um, she's always there to catch me, to just coach me through how I can do things better. Just it. She's, I mean, she's always present. So it's really important, especially, you know, when, whenever I meet, um, when I interview, uh, people who are interviewing for a recruitment role mm. uh, that's that's what I always share with them your first manager is the most important yeah. um, for it's you to be able first to it's any manager right I think <laughs> you know I think anyone that I think when I think you know people leave or recruiters leave bosses and, and recruiters join bosses you know it's, yeah. uh, it, it really does have a huge impact doesn't it especially yes, with it how does. full-on the job is you really do need that kind of support so was she yeah. kind of your main reason why you stayed that long or were there kind of other factors that um, got you to stay there yeah um, she's one of the main reasons but okay. um, it's not um, everything um, sorry Crystal <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but but I did have a great team. So it was just me and Crystal, Crystal and I at the start. Um, but, but we made um, where well, we had two additional people join us, and they were both chartered accountants, external, oh, really? ex-external yeah. auditors. Michael Page, RW but, type of uh, hire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they were fantastic colleagues I must say um, because they were very competitive but at the same time there was a lot of encouragement and somehow as peers we managed to coach each other every time we exit from a client meeting or a candidate meeting right so it's kind of and on the job training with each other on the job coach, training yeah. to each other um, we may yeah. not have been like the most qualified to do so yeah. but it's always the self-reflection that helped us yeah, to improve that. how did you normally and, had, other than sort of that on the job training what other sort of stuff had, how, how else did you learn your way in recruitment in the early days really with a lot of practice and just making it making an effort to reflect on your performance in the last call, in the last meeting, just spending some time at night before you went to bed, um, just to see how you've done for the day or for the week. Do you still do that now? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Always. I think it's a really, I think it's a really great one. I think that I think sometimes as a recruiter role, it's, it's, it's always chasing and running and, I think if you can take that little bit of time out to step back and look at the business as to whether the things you could have done differently or accelerate yeah. or pull back on for the following week, it make a big difference long term to your results. Yeah. 
do you try and um, do you try and incorporate that in your style of how you're now you know running a team now that you're promoted? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I do, um, and I usually after client meetings or even you know shadowing my team's calls, we would usually have a session right after just to run through some of the things they've done well, some of the things they haven't. Yeah. Um, and I usually encourage them to do it when I'm not there um, because really you're the owner of your own success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, no one is going to be training. always, yeah. you know, pushing you or I'm not always going to be there looking at you, how you do things because like right now we're working from home and there's, there's no way that I can always be present to, to see how you're doing. So yeah, you guys, are you guys going in sort of alternate, alternate weeks or has, how, how is it out there in Malaysia? Um, an ambition, there are some consultants that enjoy the office environment. Yeah. Um, but for my team, most of us have been at home. Um, yeah, they're okay with yeah. that? Yeah, it's it's working well. Yeah, I think everyone's um, kind of transitioned now, sort of got into their groove, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. I don't really want to go back in the office now. I'm quite yeah. happy at home. Other than my chocolate Labrador coming in and uh, <laughs> with a all wet and smelly. Other than that, it's great. Um, so you're yeah. – what – you're now obviously you're at Ambition. What was it that made you decide to leave strong brand, mm. close manager, mm. built up your reputation there? You know, you've probably got your network there. What what was it that, that lured you over to Ambition? Many different factors, really. Um, but I felt, even though I was newly promoted uh, before I left um, Michael Page, it just seemed to me at the time that I was getting stagnant in a way because I knew my way around things. I knew the people there. I knew what it would take to build up a new business. Um, but I've always wondered, you know, coming from a big brand, was it my effort? Uh, was it because I had this huge brand name behind me that mm. I was successful? Mm. So I just wanted to challenge myself. And also see if, you know, the past three and a half years in Page, um, was it uh, because of my personal branding that I was successful or because it was attributed to the brand? Yeah. Um, I, I think a that, lot of that, people have the same sort of reasons for leave, leaving a Robert Walters or a Margaret Brown. I think that was one thing that we always used to face, a real challenge, was after two or three years, people did want to see, can I do it on my own? You know? Yeah. And I think that good and bad, sometimes people go out and realise, oh, on I, I you know <laughs> I didn't realize how many jobs I would get through the the pipeline but so yeah. do you feel that it do you feel that it was I mean I know you're going to say yes to this but do you feel in the when you first moved over did you feel you'd made a mistake or you know in the first few months or were you quite confident with your your um, decision in the early days in the early days I think even before I made the move I was mentally prepared that you know there would be a lot of challenges, especially settling into a new company, um, different ways of working, not too different, but still uh, values may be different. Um, so I, I don't think I had any regrets or any fear. It was really just focusing on doing the right things, uh, being patient. Yeah. And I already knew that I was going to have to put in a lot of hard work, a lot of effort into building up the, the business. So that was, yeah, as, ex as, as expected. 
So when you first went over to Ambition then, were you, what was the role that you went into straight away? Um, I joined as a divisional manager for yeah. shared services. So right, in okay. a similar space. Um, but this time, uh, I had full accountability of the success of the business. And so last you were time basically taking always... like Crystal's role in a way. Yeah. Like you're taking yeah. that. So was it everything on technology? Was it everything? Or still just... No. No. It was it was just um, within finance and accounting, right? Okay. Which I had, um, I didn't have the opportunity to step into more senior level recruitment um, in page. Oh, was it capped? Um, so it it was capped, but because I had a manager, and all of us are oh, billing yeah. managers. Yes. You need to do. I mean, it's it's just how how the business works. Yeah, so everything was kind of carved up. So had you had yeah. that opportunity to be able to look after all of it. So what's a divisional manager? What's the what, what is that just a is that a manager role where you it's look after your own P and L? Do you look after your own P and L? Yeah. Okay. And did you have staff when you first joined then in that team? I only had one person uh, who inherited me as the manager. Right. Okay. You know him very well. Who's that? That's Douglas. Oh, I love Douglas. Oh, my God. For everyone listening, Douglas is such a character. I think I, I came into the office one day and everyone was everyone was raising money for charity. He literally said, get your wallet out. I was like, I love this guy. Yeah. Um, he said, just give me your money. I went, oh, okay then. Um, and I did. Yeah. So there we go. He's, uh, I can imagine he's a, a pretty good influencer when it comes to clients. He's probably, take this candidate, interview this candidate. Um, yeah. Okay, so Douglas has been there that whole time. That's really interesting. And so yeah. you then, did you report to Matthew Cooper at that stage when you first came in? Yep. Okay, and so you've been... Still reporting into him. Still reporting <laughs> to Matthew. He, he won a mention. He, he, he'll feel really special now. Um, yeah. So talk me through, talk me through um, the setup of the team. So, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of keen to, when you first joined, what did it look like and what are sort of your plans over the next, you know, now that you're, now that you've been promoted, what are your plans for that business? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Oh, so uh, when I joined, I had Douglas and I hired an additional um, two headcounts into the team. Okay. Uh, one was an associate consultant and another joined as a consultant so they were pretty junior at the time and there was a lot more hands-on involvement um, especially coaching through the process so that was what I was really focused on um, in my first one and a half to two years and you still had to bill though I gather at the same time and bill at the same so time so how are you juggling how are you juggling that what, what you know what worked for you in terms of the achieving those two t- those two areas they worked. Um, the people in my team, um, I have to, I have to give credit to them, because uh, they were all very self-driven. Um, they knew the basics, uh, as, except for you know the person that had to train from scratch. Mm-hmm. But Douglas is already experienced. He just needed a little bit more polishing on his right. skills. Right. Uh, there was also Matthew, um, who's also an experienced uh, consultant who joined from Michael Page. Right. And then, um, so what worked was, I mean, it's just being able to prioritize. And I'm not saying that I was perfect at it. 
So it's always very often that you see me working late hours, right, okay. um, stressing a lot um, about, you know, um, not being able to uh, focus more on either myself or focus yeah. more on them at the yeah. same time. That's the tricky bit, isn't it? What's the That's right the percentage? And, and do you feel that you've got that right now? Or do you still feel, face, feel it's a bit of a challenge? No, I'm... I'm my job is way easier today. <laughs> Why? So, so I've um, the, so the team has developed uh, quite a bit. Uh, Dan and Douglas have been with me um, since almost you know at the same time when I joined, um, and they've both been promoted a couple of times um, since since uh, I was here. Why do you think and, they stay? Sorry. Why do you think they stay? I don't know. You have to ask them. <laughs> oh, come on. You must know. I'm not trying to blow your own trumpet here in any way. I just, I, you know, I think it, it's really hard to retain talent. It's really hard in recruitment, right? Anyone can go and do the same yeah. job somewhere else. So, so yeah. what, what do you think has, has been the reason to be able to keep hold of those guys for as long as you have? I think it's really about the trust, the transparency, and really spending a lot of time talking to them, not only about their careers, but also their personal aspirations. Mm-hmm. It could be also about personal problems that they run by you and yeah. just sort of mentor them um, throughout. Yeah. Uh, Have you been able that. to kind of keep that, that, that closeness when you're working virtually? Um, I don't think it's a challenge because prior to this pandemic, we've, spent a lot of time with each other so it's just as simple as picking up the phone or having late night calls with them Um, I mean just just for the fun of it yeah we know each other well enough to be able to connect whenever we want to yeah to me it sounds like it's not that much of an effort for you because you have already built that relationship but you but I think for those listening that that are quite new to managing it sounds effortless to you, but in the early days, I'm sure it wasn't because you've got to build trust. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, you can't you can't always accelerate t- trust. It can take time. Yeah, um, to build that kind of reliability and your own credibility and stuff like that. So, mm. um, I want to I, I want to kind of go back to um, when you said about the setup of the team and where it is now, and it's a little bit easier for you now. Are you looking to sort of expand your shared services? Because, I mean, on your LinkedIn, it says your technology shared services. Previously, you were doing accountancy and finance at Michael Page. So what yeah. are your kind of aspirations for that business? What's it going to look like in the future? Well, my vision for the business is that we are able to support as many functions within the shared services industry as possible. Um, and yes, I am expanding uh, the team next year. And you we are, are in a good position how, to do how, that. How much headcount are you looking to grow it? Um, we're looking at about a couple of people. Yeah. With um, shared service experience or would you look at someone with, um, I mean, because obviously we've got people that are listening that are from the recruitment firm. So you might, yeah. you might as well be specific on what you're looking for. You know, there might be someone that re- that, that is keen to make a move. Yeah, we're we're open minded. Um, it could be someone that has no prior recruitment experience, okay. or it could be someone who's experienced. Um, you know, that can come in and contribute. Um, so quicker. what level? Then it could be junior or or a senior consultant, then or principal. Looking at mostly associate consultants, the consultants. Oh, okay. So ju- um, junior buns. Yeah. Yeah, this is keeping the current team that I have in mind, um, because Douglas is now a manager. Been, uh, okay. 
Of what? Yes. What's he looking after then? So he's um, currently um, looking, coaching two people, um, which that, that's the reason that I'm so relaxed nowadays. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, and and he, he does have, you know, some way to develop. And I do want to give him that opportunity to train right. someone from scratch. Right. Okay. And also some of the other members of the team who are also progressing towards senior consultant and also the next step. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. so you're thinking about your succession planning. So, yeah. if, so is your whole, so is Douglas doing technology as well? You're all doing technology, but you've just broken it down. No, we, we only focus on finance and accounting uh, as well as procurement and supply chain. So uh, one thing I was really keen to know, I remember way back when Standard Chartered and Barclays moved some of their global and regional functions, such as payrolling and financing HR into India and Malaysia and Poland. How prevalent is that today that, that you're still seeing those big corporates housing in Malaysia? And if so, why still Malaysia? Why not other, you know, Vietnam, you know, other low cost locations? Because I wouldn't think Malaysia is necessarily the cheapest of locations. Not the cheapest. Vietnam or (laughs) Indonesia, maybe. Okay. Uh, First part of the question is, um, you know, if it's still happening. Um, And I can say for this year, um, especially since uh, March until September, things were still pretty quiet. But we are starting to see several companies uh, exploring um, to set up their hubs here. Any particular industry that you're seeing? more interest from um i i don't think i can attribute that to a single industry okay, but okay, it's a okay. wide so it's range not... it could be tech companies manufacturing companies okay, fmpgs okay. Interesting. yeah okay that's interesting um and which yeah. which i mean you think you've already gone over the functions already in terms of the types of functions that sit within sh- shared services so i don't need to ask that question again but if you're advising a company to consider looking at shared services model what would you list as some of the advantages of of, of doing that? Well, the first two um, advantages would be your cost efficiency mm-hmm. and the second would be your time efficiency. So that would be usually the immediate um, benefits that companies can you say time efficiency, do. what does that mean? Um, just for example, um, standardizing a process and bringing it together in a single location, it could oh. mean that you can standardize processes at the same time, look at it as a whole. Um, and, you know, the, the whole concept of shared services, people think it's just doing the same thing as what um, the, the business, uh, local business entities are doing. But really, it's not. It's a lot of process improvement involved. And that's usually okay. one of the deliverables of a hub. Right. Um, so instead of having five people to do the same um, volume of tasks, through process improvement, you can probably cut it down by about two or sometimes even three hit counts. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where you can mobilize these three or two or three people to be doing more value-added stuff. Really interesting. I love that. And do you find that you're getting involved in, in those kind of conversations as a business in terms of organizations that are sort of considering? Do you get involved at those sort of senior levels? Um, we do, um, but I have to say it's pretty rare um, but in the next few years especially now that I have a manager in the team 
that will be my focus to speak to sea levels yeah, regionally and globally yeah. because it's a very interesting yeah. conversation to have. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not the only person selling for Malaysia for them to come to Malaysia. Yeah, uh, there are you know uh, companies like Invest KL, MDEC that yeah. are already doing it. So I think striking a partnership and alliance with these um, these. Uh, Players that's a really good point. Would be yeah, that's a important. really good point. That's a really good point. And what are the yeah. what are the typical challenges that you're facing at the moment when it comes to sourcing talent for shared services? You know, what are those challenges and how are you overcoming them? It's a very sorry about the hammering that you can hear. Actually, I couldn't hear it. Was your dog knocking on the door? <laughs> I wish it was, but it's uh, my neighbors doing renovation. Uh, getting ready for Christmas. That's what it's. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's all good. I didn't hear it anyway. It's all good. Yeah. So about, we're doing it from um, home. This is what we all get used to. This is what I. To be honest, I. Re I really don't. I think it's great when all these interruptions happen when the dog knocks on. You know, dog barks <laughs> or the child screaming in the background. This is life. We're humans, right? We could stop. Yeah. Stop trying to happen. pretend that we're something else. Yeah. It's all good. So yeah. shall I oh. ask the question again? What are the typical challenges you face when it comes to sourcing talent and how do you overcome them? It's a very competitive space uh, yeah. as compared to what it was six years ago. Um, yeah. There are definitely new players trying to get a chunk of this pie. Um, but are, they doing, has... are they doing any good in that? Are they, are they, are they sort of uh, chipping away or? Uh, I mean... I've seen a lot of changes where, you know, some companies used to be the top when I first was in the industry. Mm. I think Walters was very strong um, mm. in the space. Hayes was also a very strong player. Mm. Um, but as, you know, time goes, Paige eventually became one of the leaders. Yeah. Um, and I like to think that Ambition's name is up there yeah. today. Um, but we do see a lot of smaller players come in, but they tend to come and go um, because it is a very competitive market. Yeah. And yeah. what's always helped is, I think uh, our our motto in ambition is inch wide, mile deep. We don't spread ourselves too thin and we are you know, very focused in a single industry or single mm -hmm. function. Yeah. And I've been doing just that for the past six years. And I think the network, the relationships that, you know, we've built over time really helps um, for us to retain that pie. And do you, and do you, I'm just interested on the candidate side, because I know it's quite niche. Do you have to do anything a little bit more innovative in terms of, you know, how you go to market, how you headhunt or, or certain areas? You know, is there anything you're doing differently to attract talent to look at shared services as a career? I did a lot of that um, in my early days uh, because talents uh, were usually from your more established centers like your IBM, HP, right. Dell, BP, those companies. But it's definitely not enough for the growth of the industry at that time. Um, so we had to educate a lot of people in the what we call the commercial finance um, teams. Um, and there was a lot more conversations about educating them back then. Mm, uh, mm. But today, the industry has grown significantly. There's about over uh, over 100,000 professionals wow. in shared services. And contract as well. I was interested to know how, whether there was a contract market out there in Malaysia for, for say, shared services. Is, is that a thing? Yeah. There is 
Um, but it's still not as prevalent as maybe the the more advanced markets. Right. So there's maybe right. more of a case to case basis. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's still not okay. very common because it's still not well received in Malaysia as of yeah. yet. Yeah. 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 It was a bit. Yeah. It's only it's starting very talent to change shot. here. Yeah. yeah. So, what are some of the typical mistakes that companies make when it comes to setting up a shared service? Okay, I, I don't think I'm now. in the <laughs> the position to be able to say. You can't this, say the company but... names, but you can definitely give me a little bit of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I can uh, look at this from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no two same uh, ways that you know shared services would be set up. Um, and I think it's a bigger conversation than, you know, having all the responsibility fall on the shared services director's shoulders. Um, it could be also um, about the company, the senior leadership team of the company, whether they are starting off with a very strong backing or a mandated uh, shared services setup, or it could be coming from someone within the region who has this idea and has this, but um, so it. I guess the challenges for the difference is that um, for those that are not mandated, uh, it does take a bit of time to build up your maybe your pilot projects. Um, right. Having case studies, it takes time to influence and get the buy-in from your stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were also some challenges that I was personally involved in, you know, during the recruitment process where I see that, you know, there are companies that didn't spend a significant amount of time at the planning stage. Um, what so impact did that have on everything then? Everything, like late nights, that the impact on me was that, you know, I was <laughs> very stressed out. <laughs> a lot of late nights for sure. Um, and what it means is, you know, maybe the migration projects were could have been done way better. Right, right. Um, stakeholder satisfaction was definitely impacted. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's harder to mend things mm. um, rather than, you know, start off very smoothly and then it's easier yeah. for you to get um, a stronger backing. So, sounds, like, sounds like there's a there's another fee revenue income here for for ambition, get get chilling in front of all the shared services when they're looking at setting up and consultancy advice. I am advice. no consultant. Boom. No, no. I, I mean, that's that's uh, Matthew in front. Matthew can just you know give all the information to Matthew. You can go out and rock and roll for the team. <laughs> Be brilliant. Now, according to Gartner, yeah. more than eighty percent of shared services organisations have implemented robotic process automation automation technology. Yeah. So I was sort of you know quite keen to hear what you see as sort of best in class shared service and in what I mean, in what way do you foresee that changing over time to to remain cost effective okay um i've had pretty interesting conversations with a couple of people from ibm uh, recently yeah i think that they are a very innovative shared services um right business they're not only a cost-based business where they only serve ibm business units in fact they've evolved into a profit generating hub 
um, and what they do, huh. uh, they either provide outsourcing services for other organizations right, 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 because right, they right. already have that talent pool within the organization yeah. to be able to do that. Right. Or they, they've also been acting as consultants um, under project management um, right. for transformation of uh, right. organizations. And they've also helped several companies, big companies out there to be an incubator of their shared services. Wow. So they put in, you know, some of their their best talent um, into these uh, new setups. And some of these talents, you know, would stay with this uh, organization for about two or three years. And then it all depends on the company, whether they still want to continue that with IBM or they can go fully in-house after the handover period. So they're revenue generating shared services. Yeah, very interesting. I'm sure a lot of companies will probably think, well, is that something that they could look at in terms of revenue streams? It's always, that's really interesting. So I'm really keen to, before I get onto my rapid fire round, I know I asked you this previously, but because I'm coming to the end, I, I, I'm really keen to sort of, in terms of your career, you've just been promoted, you're Associate Director of Shared Services. What does the future hold for you? What are your kind of career aspirations? I would hope to be a director. Boom. And boom. Love are it. you hearing this, Matthew? Yeah. I'm coming after your job. <laughs> Chris, do you hear this? Chris, do you hear me? <laughs> Um, no, that has always been my aspiration. Why? Um, what What does director mean for you? I guess the directors that I've worked with, um, they do have a lot more influence about how they can run the business, about the type of culture that they can introduce and also improve on um, in the business. And it's, I mean, the recruitment company is always about people. Um, and that's just my focus as well as you know being in this new position I'm in. Um, a lot of my time will be really focused on my team, even more, maybe less on recruitment, but more client facing, more mm-hmm. like more of those conversations with C level mm-hmm. um, guys uh, or ladies. Um, <laughs> Don't, um, don't forget so, so 50% really of the I, would, I would be focusing more on people development and also business development um, rather than just being very operational. Yeah. That's the next step yeah, forward. Yeah, next jump. I love that. I'm looking forward to you doing that as well. And I think I yeah. have no doubt in my mind that you'll, that you'll absolutely reach director. So let's do rapid fire round. It's got to be rapid. Okay. You can't take 20 minutes per, per, per answer. Okay. You can't sort of. So it has to be very short. Yeah, you've got, you've got to go for it. Okay, so what was the last okay. podcast or book that you listened or read that you'd recommend to listeners? Helen Tong Asia. <laughs> no, you've got to do another one. <laughs> you can't say another one. Because uh, everyone will think I've put you with, up for that. Uh, I've always stuck with this YouTube uh, channel, The School of Life. School of Life? Why? What's involved in that? There's a wide range of topics. Mm-hmm. And um, what I always like is about self-reflection, self-understanding, Okay. Um, i check that out. Yeah. Go check. Yeah. Go check is, it it a, is it a US nice. Asian one or what? Where, what's it? Where's it? See, I'm taking longer than 20 minutes. British. Now. Oh, it's bound to be fantastic then. Right. Okay. So yeah. what was your favorite? What's your favorite documentary or movie if you don't watch documentaries? I don't watch much of either. But <gasps> uh, 
But thanks to Matthew Cooper, he's really sold this documentary to me like countless Gil- times. Gilmore Girls? No, I'm joking. Um, that's uh, Inside Bill's Brain about Bill Gates. Oh, this is the doc- this is the three or four part series when they followed him. That yes. is fantastic. Yeah. What was your most? Have you watched all of it? Yeah, I have. What's your most favorite bit? Uh, walking around in the forest. Yes, uh, with, the, Bill with the other guy, right? Yeah. yeah, another <laughs> yeah. guy. I I, th- I thought it was such an amazing. I can't remember if it's on Netflix. I can't remember where it is on yeah, Netflix. It's, if anyone hasn't seen it, what's it called again? Inside. Inside Bill's brain. Inside Bill's brain. I think the part of the series that I loved the most was that he would take himself away with two massive bags of books, of books. and just read, and no Kindle. Um, no and kind of easy, e- yeah, no easier way of kind of, but he would literally lug all these books and just yeah. devour them. I love that. I just love that. What are you most curious about right now? When this is all going to be over? I mean, not not <laughs> oh, this session. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant this oh, oh, Not thanks, this Jim, session. I'm talking about the, the, the COVID-19 <laughs> crisis. <laughs> I'm that not going to really say funny. things like that, Andrea. Oh, that's brilliant. What are you curious right now when it's over? Okay, well, hopefully with the over. vaccine, it should be doing. What legacy, last question, what legacy do you want to leave your existing team in the future? Um, if I do leave the team in the future, I want them to continue being successful and continue developing. Um, but we, we never know where we would be in three to five years' time, but... Um, Really, I think the biggest measure of a legacy is, you know, when people can look back at the time that we work together mm-hmm. and they can see that it's a very enjoyable and fulfilling time of their lives. That's. I think that's a perfect end of a perfect podcast, Gillian. Thank you so much for your time. And it's an absolute delight to have, have you on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to you getting promoted to, to director very soon. Yes. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with Gillian from Ambition, then please check out the notes on this episode where her contacts will all be found and any details of guests that are mentioned on the show, they will also be found there. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then don't be stingy. Share it with as many people as you can. Rate it, review it and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, my company website, The Career Establishment, LinkedIn, YouTube. And don't forget that every week I tackle a recruitment challenge on YouTube um, called Talent Tips Tuesday. So if you're facing any challenges at the moment, just throw them over. It could be about recruitment, it could be about leadership, it could be about anything. Um, I will tackle that for you. So um, please check that out and subscribe to the channel. It's been an absolute delight, Gillian. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on this. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.